Oh, I've got some great... I've got some great fortune cookie stuff, so we have to do it. <laughs> I mean, I know that doesn't sound like... You're like, oh, yeah, pencil in the fortune cookie stuff. I will say so much fortune cookie content is not great, and if you found some that it is, I'm excited about Except it. I cannot find my glasses. This is the problem. Use Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> Brad Meltzer was in today. Mm-hmm. He's uh, crying on the Batman cowl and everything else. Uh, okay, so... I have to. I think the Chinese forget TikTok. Mm-hmm. I think fortune cookies are uh, are really bringing us down. Really bringing us down. Um, like for instance, here's a fortune. We have Chinese food, um, you know, as a family, and then we all open the fortune cookies, and then we all share them. Here's one. Your problem just got bigger. Think, what have you done? Wait, what the hell? <laughs> what is that? What is that? Here was mine. You ready? Things could be better, but they're good enough. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's done. I think this is a communist plot to just bring <laughs> us all down. No, that's TikTok. Wait until you hear. Wait until you hear one last one. I'll, we'll do it on tomorrow's show. <laughs> it's. It was like. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> I'm expecting to, you know, find something that's like, Americans, I'm just writing this note real quick. Don't <laughs> listen to these fortunes. Um, all right. The uh, program today is great. We have Michael Schellenberger, Schnellenberger on. Um, he's talking about the World Economic Forum. We have a lot of information on that. Also, gun news uh, with the um, West Virginia treasurer. Um, he's on. And... Just a fantastic hour with my favorite guest, always, Brad Meltzer. Um, History geek. He's got a new book out about a Nazi conspiracy to kill Churchill, uh, Stalin, and FDR all in one fell swoop. It's a great, great book you have to uh, check out and listen to him as he he drools all over my Batman mask. (laughs) All that and more on today's podcast. First, let me tell you about Relief Factor. Going about your daily life is, um, while you're living with pain, is really difficult. It's really difficult. Um, I know the feeling because I was in pain for many, many years and tried everything. I went to every doctor. I tried absolutely everything. And then when, you know, I heard the commercials for Relief Factor, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's going to work. Only because... I've been to the best doctors, literally the best doctors in the world for it. Nobody could could solve it. My wife says, you got to try Relief Factor, you know. I'm like, it's not going to work. She said, I'm not going to listen to you whine unless you try absolutely everything. So I did. I was stubborn. And so at three weeks, I'm like, I don't think it's making a difference. So I stopped taking it. About three days later, I'm really in pain. I realized it had made a huge impact on my pain. And I started taking it again, and it just got better and better. Three-week quick start. Just try it. $19.95. You're in pain. Go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Or call the 800, the number 4-RELIEF. 800-4-RELIEF. Relieffactor.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. 
let me just give you this. Uh, let me give you this story from the Associated Press. When some of the world's wealthiest and most influential figures gather at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting last year, sessions on climate change drew high-level discussions on topics such as carbon financing and sustainable food systems. But an entirely different narrative played out on the Internet, where social media users claimed leaders wanted to force the population to eat insects instead of meat in the name of saving the environment. Oh, by the way, I I should point this out in a completely unrelated story. um, I just saw this. I was doing some research on another story in Canada, and I came across, uh, you can find it, CanadianManufacturing.com. Some really good news. Um, Aspire Food Group has announced that it has completed construction of its alternative protein manufacturing facilities in London, Ontario, which is now the home to the world's largest cricket production facility. Aspire's new plant will reportedly produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets every year for human and pet consumption. That's about 2 billion insects to be distributed annually across Canada and throughout the United States. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for a plant to make 9,000 metric tons of crickets. The demand is going crazy for I hear it all the time. People, my friends here in Texas, we're all talking. Hey, do you have any crickets? I'm out of crickets. The supply line for crickets. But the good news is... Aspire Food Group has completed their production facility. They're ready now to just start sending out the crickets. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Elites arrive in Davos and conspiracy theories online, uh, blah, blah, blah. Some conspiracy theories force the population to eat sex. Uh, the annual event in the Swiss ski resort town of Davos, which opens... Uh, today has increasingly become a target of bizarre claims from a growing chorus of commentators who believe the forum involves a group of elites manipulating global events for their own benefit. Experts say that it was once a conspiracy theory found in the Internet's underbelly, but now it has hit the mainstream One of the things that apparently these conspiracy theorists are talking about is how uh, the World Economic Forum had the Great Reset ready to go and were part of, you know, the WHO and all of the plans to shut down the economies of the world when it came to, a you know, some sort of a pandemic. And then people started with those conspiracy theories and the World Economic Forum, you know, started warning misinformation. You got to control that misinformation. And uh, they did. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm so riddled with ADD. Uh, you know, that cricket story I was just telling you about. Uh, the reason why I was looking up at Canada and seeing some things up in Canada was because there's a um, there's a story up in Canada that's uh, out today. Danielle Stephanie Warner. She uh, was sitting alone in a Toronto hospital. She was uh, wearing a blue medical gown and she was sitting in kind of like a wheelchair uh, and she has uh, her mask down off of her face. But that's because 
she went to the hospital because she was having a hard time breathing. So uh, she couldn't have the mask over her face. She didn't have COVID, by the way, but she couldn't put the mask over her face um, because she couldn't breathe. But, you know, hey, rules are rules. So the nurse came out, started yelling at her, and then two security guards came. In fact, we have a little film of it. There you see uh, Danielle. If you happen to be watching on The Blaze, here comes the nurse to yell at her. You've got to put that mask on your face. She's like, I can't breathe. So the security guards are given uh, gowns, and the security guards push her up against the wall along with a nurse, and they, uh, they pin her to the wall, you know, putting their arm against her chest, kind of in a George Floyd sort of way. And there they are now wheeling her dead body in the wheelchair with such class. Uh, she died. She died. Of COVID? No, no, no. no, no. She died she of COVID-related COVID <laughs> issues. Uh, but don't worry. There's nobody. I'm sorry. I got to get back to this economic store. There is nobody that is trying to take your rights away. There is that's not happening. And the World Economic Forum and the world leaders, they haven't been doing this. I mean, can you think of a time when all world leaders were doing the same thing where every country was doing exactly the same thing? I mean, sure, they all said it's the Great Reset. Sure, they all said build back better, which is from the World Economic Forum. But can you think? I mean, Look at how different every country reacted to COVID. And nobody lost their rights. Sure, in China, but nowhere else. Anyway, uh, so um, now increasingly in mainstream corners of the Internet and conservative talk shows. Stu, I think they're talking about you. The Great Reset has become shorthand for what skeptics say is a reorganization of society using global uncertainty as a guise to take away rights. Now, why would you say that? Why would you say that? That is crazy. Yes, they put out, you know, their own video made by them that said by 2030, you'll own nothing. You will not have privacy, but you'll like it. I mean, what rights are you talking about taking away? Uh, by the way, you know, I got to be careful what I say here because you say the words, the great reset on YouTube and uh, they, they take you off of YouTube because you can't say those things. Oh, I'm on YouTube now. The great reset, the great reset, the great reset sucks doesn't it now <clears throat> i can't imagine for instance let me let me give you this conspiracy theory that it was just from right wingers okay remember the right winger richard trumpka came out last week last uh last sunday why are you looking confused well richard trumpka was a <clears throat> obama you know era yeah but he's union. spreading conspiracy theories now so he is clearly a right wing zealot so he comes out and he says you know, as a consumer protection agency guy, we are now looking at gas stoves because there's this really credible source out there that did a study that says gas stoves can lead to asthma in kids. And so we're we're going to we're going to look at uh, opening it up to public comments. If Should we restrict or ban gas stoves? 
Well, of course, this was Republican scare tactics. I mean, they're not going to do it. There is no intention of doing it. And nobody is suggesting this. Nobody is. Well, well, okay, the Department of Energy. Okay, I mean, they're looking for efficiency standards. Gas furnaces, uh, they're going to try to get rid of gas furnaces. And there's a not yet released proposed rule for water heaters. Uh, that will tilt away from from gas. And I bet Republicans are going to pounce on that, too. Yeah, when that comes it's out. It's just like them. <laughs> That's what they it's do. It's just like them. And you know who did the study? I mean, this is I mean, how do you question this study? The green energy group behind the study study, you know, uh, cited by Richard Trumpka Jr. to just look into banning gas stoves. That's all he was doing. Um, is partnered with the Chinese government. And their goal is in an economy-wide transformation away from oil and gas. Now, it's a Colorado-based group from, uh, it's a nonprofit, the Rocky Mountain Institute. And it published the study that uh, attributes 13% of U.S. childhood asthma cases to gas stove use. Um, but, they don't really get into how they came up with that in the study, but that, don't worry about it. The organization is demanding systematic changes to the economy-wide uh, total transformation to address climate chi- uh, crisis. And this group says we have to, you know, we have to go to great lengths to avoid the climate crisis. Um, in twenty in twenty thirteen, they went a long way. They have joined forces with China's National Development and Reform Commission, which is great. And China went into business with them. And then, you know, some of the things didn't work out. And they, you know, the traffic lights had to be dimmed and nobody could cook on their stoves. But but that was just the first trial. OK, now they are they advocate the banning of gas stoves. They advocate the banning of gas stoves. Okay. The study, which spans nine paragraphs, was uh, based on a, a bunch of hodgepodge different data uh, and methodologies spanning various years and countries. Um, and really, nobody can really make sense of it. The, um, the, uh, the experts at Yale University say, yeah, it's a little more than questionable <laughs> the way they put this together. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I just, I just want to tell you that you should not worry when we have a government official citing something, you know, like this study. It's from Colorado. What could possibly be wrong? Now, I will say, I will say that they have a board of directors, but look how strong the board of directors are. Board members, uh, we ding. Who doesn't love we ding? The <laughs> that's a sentence I've. We ding. That's a name. Oh. Uh, he's the founder and chairman of the Chinese equity firm, uh, Broad River Capital. Uh, he started the firm after serving as chairman of the China International Capital Cor- Corporation. It's a state-owned investment bank. Um, and the executives, Chinese leader Xi Jinping's vice president, right-hand man, Wei uh, Wang 
Kisan, um, and uh, they have uh, deep participation in China's economic reforms and development, and their goal is to serve the nation. Rocky Mountain Institute also sits on China Clean Transportation Partnership, a Chinese green energy nonprofit whose founding members include China's National Development Reform Commission and Ministry of Transport. So they, you know, it, yes, 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 yes. They're deeply in bed with communist China. And, you know, who wins if the United States gets off of oil and gas and China doesn't? Okay, China. What is our what is our president? You know, his son in bed with China who got the Bagram Air Force Base after we. Okay, China. But I'm sure this is all just because (sighs) gas stoves are very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And it's a conspiracy anyway. It's not happening. Okay. Yeah. It's and all just Republicans thrusting this right, issue into the culture right. wars. And this, they, they don't have any power. World Economic Forum, no power at all. They're skiing this week. That's what they're doing. They're skiing. Man, it's just a bunch of rich people getting together. Get over it. It's not going to affect your life. Man, when do those bugs start to arrive in America? I can't wait. Okay. Um, oh, there's another story out today. Coincidentally, has nothing to do with anything. Wall Street Journal says the central bank digital currency, where you'll have a a bank account with the Federal Reserve. Yeah, that's coming whether you like it or not, because we just have to do it. But that's a conspiracy. It's not going to happen. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So I want to play something for you. And believe it or not, I have a very deep point on this. It's not just to, it's not certainly not to make fun of Chelsea Handler. It is to remind people you should stop listening to people like this. This is my first point, but this is not the deep point. She's a moron. Uh, she was on um, uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and she told a story um, that uh, she made an admission that she really didn't understand something. And if you don't understand this, what else don't you understand? This is a pretty basic thing, and this is coming from a woman who has lectured us morally and intellectually, our superior on, you know, how to live our lives. Listen to this admission on Jimmy Fallon. I didn't know, and this is true, I didn't know until I was 40 years old that the sun and the moon were not the same thing. I find it hard to believe, but what are you talking about? It was, I was shocking to me as well. I mean, well, of course, it must have been more shocking to you. I was like, I was in Africa. We were on safari. My sister and I were riding an elephant, and there was a man riding an elephant for us because we don't know how to ride an elephant. Yeah. And my older sister Simone looked up at the at the at the, the sky and she said, Chelsea, Chelsea, look up. It's not often you get to see the sun and the moon at the same time. Yeah. I was like, looking, I was like Scooby Doo. I'm like, <laughs> I said, and I go, wait, I go, but they're always together. And as soon as I said that, she turned around. She goes, what did you say? And I was like, oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I knew what I said giddy was up, wrong. Giddy up, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, let's canter. Is that what an elephant does? <laughs> oh my god. And um, I and 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 she looked at me. She goes, I need you. And I just tried to gloss over it. I was like, never mind what I said. I know. And she said, no. 
I need you to tell me what you think is happening between the sun and the moon. <laughs> and I was like, honestly, I just assumed when the sun went down, it popped back up as the moon, you know? <laughs> the little costume change. Like, <laughs> like, is that not what's happening? The man riding the elephant spoke no English and went, <laughs> and he's just like another dumb American, yeah. you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely true. Good okay. Summary. <sighs> Stop listening to these people. They're morons. They're morons. Um, because, I, you know, look, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer either, but that's pretty darn basic. Pretty darn basic. Um, wow. Okay. So she's, what, 47 years old? She's almost 50 years old. The mentality of these elites that they are so morally and intellectually superior um, and that, you know, everything is old fashioned and, you know, you need to learn. It's more important than facts to learn the new facts that are cool. You know, men are men are able to have babies. No, they're My problem in doing this show is I am um, <laughs> speechless for the first time in your life. <laughs> That's about what it sounds like. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm I I I I I'm very transparent uh, with my life, and uh, this is coming from uh, someplace else uh, that is happening in my life and and let me just say this to you our children have no idea that we no parents you have no idea how confused and lost your children really are it might seem like they get it but chelsea handler is i mean she is She's a genius in today's world. They're not learning the things that they need to learn, and they're learning all of these things that are, are really horrible, that are counter to everything that is an eternal truth. I'm going to give you an, another story here today, and I don't know if anybody can see where I'm, I'm going when I make this connection, but... <sighs> This is a story out of uh, England, and it is a story about how Satanism is becoming very popular. And uh, but there's no blood rituals anymore. There's no murder. There's no sacrifice. There's no blood rites to Satan. We don't worship the devil. We don't cast magic spells, says the leader of the Satanic Temple. In England, okay, um, he said, "Yeah, we do occult rituals, and you know, there's no virgin sacrifices or chalices of blood, and we don't believe in the actual devil or Satan. That's a thing of the past. Satanism is luring, um, uh, alluring to young people now because." Everything in religion is outdated and dogmatic and traditional. And you're told 
that you have to offer yourself. You have to change your ways. Um, the Sunday Telegraph, I'm reading, spoken to leaders of members of the satanic groups around the world who claim that the opportunities Satanism offers people to engage in activism and uh, they campaign on issues such as gender sexuality is part of the appeal for younger members, particularly those who are less likely to declare themselves Christian. The, uh, the guy who is uh, the, uh, well, he's, he runs the Global Order of Satan, UK. Uh, he's, a, he's an undertaker for uh for a job he says he has a 200 percent increase in membership over the last five years he said i wish i could claim that we could pat ourselves on the back and say yeah we've done a we've done our internal work here i'm quoting we're uh successfully declining the number of christians but it's more complex than that he said two factors are responsible the decreasing popularity of traditional dogmatic religions and a movement towards self-identification and self-realization. He said this uh, amongst younger people, they don't want to be identified as part of a prescriptive dogmatic religion. Instead, they want to identify with their own self-belief and their own self-realization, which is what Satanism offers. They are now turning away, he says, from incredibly outdated, very obviously stuffy views that are completely not in keeping with modern times. You know what? He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Those stuffy religious ideas that come from the Bible, they are not in line with contemporary ideas and contemporary living. And if you want an easy life where you will be accepted and things are going to be really peachy and swell for you for a while, and I emphasize for a while, as an alcoholic, I know how things, how taking the easy route and just not dealing with stuff, not dealing with reality, just have a drink. You'll be, that'll all go away. You won't have to worry about it You'll be, for a while. And then it all comes crashing down on your head. If you, if you, uh, we don't know what our kids are faced with. We have no idea. I would not want to be one. I would not want to be a kid in today's world. They are confused and they are being confused intentionally. Social media and the phone that they all look at 24 hours a day is the enemy in their pocket. It is also part of their life now. And we are going to get to a point to where I swear to God, I'm going to be driving a buggy soon. I am. I mean, you we are not going to be able to protect our families in this society. And uh, Christians, it's going to get really hard to be a Christian when say Satanists can say, oh, we're not. 
we're not really, I mean, we're not really Satanists. I mean, you know, Satanism is a young person's religion, you know, uh, and it's just a diversification. That's it. That's all it is. And we just explore, um, you know, your identity, your interest, your values, your beliefs. Oh, okay. And they say that we're, you know, Satan is just more metaphorical. You know, he's just the rebel. That's all he is. Um, we don't believe in a higher power. Instead, we revolve around a religion of the self. Think of that in today's society. Forget it came from him. A religion of the self. And it's up to individuals to define their own moral code and, their, and to develop themselves as their own godhead. Sure, we get around, you know, we get together, do rituals in the forest and stuff, you know, uh, and, you know, we have a community bonding and meditation to give people the time to develop your own personal vision of yourself as Satan. But we don't mean that literally. I, 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 um, I want you to write to me. And tell me how I can help you as a parent. Because as a parent, uh, my kids are, and I'm and not Satanist and stuff like that, but uh, my kids are, are so lost right now. And Tanya and I just feel like we are just uh, losers. We just feel like, wow, wow, all of that work for decades and none of it took. And uh, we know that's not true, um, but I cannot be the only person feeling that way. And I am out of answers in my own life many times, um, but we are, thank God, uh, Mom and dad are on the same page and we love each other and we have a very loving family. So we are able to uh, keep our head above water. But it is difficult because no one has faced these problems before. We did an experiment on our children and it's going awry. We just gave our kids. Do you know? Do you know what failure to launch is? You know what that is, right? Failure to launch. When people are still living at their house, you know, mom and dad's house, and they haven't launched their own life. Do you know what uh, psychiatrists have now? They've just moved the age up. Do you know what the age is now? 37. 37 failure to launch. Okay? That it's... That it's it's only a problem when you hit thirty seven. At thirty seven, it's like okay, there's a real issue. Thirty seven, our kids are they are so confused. They don't know what is up. They don't know what is down. They are so in a bubble that they have absolutely no tolerance to any kind of stress. And I'm telling you, stress is coming. Stress is coming. Let me know how we can help you, please. And we will do our best.
You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Brad, it is a thrill to have you uh, in studio. Uh, again, you have a new book out uh, called The Nazi Conspiracy. I, n- I had no idea this uh, was even had been planned. The secret plot to kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. At the height of World War II, Nazis are planning to kill the big three. I didn't know the story either. How do you, I mean, how is this, you watch certain history channels and it's all World War II Nazi stuff. I mean, you think you know everything. I've never heard that. And listen, I I obviously watch those same shows. I love World War II. I never knew the story. I don't think the internet is good for many things, but it's good for obscure historical stories. And I found, scrolling through my feed, I found the story years ago. It was a tiny mention, maybe a half-page, page article. I had barely any facts. I'm like, you're telling me the Nazis tried to kill FDR, Stalin, and Churchill, the height of World War II, and, and you and I don't know about this story? I'm like, I got to know. And, and just to paint the picture, it's 1943. It's the moment where Joseph Stalin wants us to invade the continent, uh, continental Europe. He's getting decimated by the Nazis. He, we, of course, the United Kingdom and the United States are sending munitions and weapons, but he's like, no, you need to invade basically do what becomes the invasion of Normandy. And FDR realizes we got to get the big three together. We have to look each other in the eye, plan troop movements, plan supplies, plan morale, and millions of lives, Glenn, are at stake. You know, this is it. And and really look each other in the eyes. Also, you paint a great picture in the book of the moment the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor and what that was like in the White House. And then you go overseas and what it was like with Churchill. And he's having, I think it was dinner with the ambassador of the United States yeah. at the time. And well, he finds out. And when he, and what I love in that moment when you see Churchill, because we've all heard the story of Pearl Harbor. We show you it a different right. way. A totally right? different way. In a way you've never seen before. Yeah. And what I love is in the moments after, we always tell the story in America that, you know, we punched the Nazis in the jaw. We won, you know, the, we, won, we saved democracy for the world, and that's the end. And that's a beautiful story, but that's the Hollywood version. It was much more complex and actually much more amazing for America to see what we had to yeah. do to get there. And what I love is when Pearl Harbor happens, we, of course, declare war against the Japanese. Um, but they'd say to Adolf Hitler, stay out of it. His own advisors like, stay out of it. Don't mess with America. We don't mm-hmm. need this now. And Hitler slaps his leg, literally slaps his leg and says, this is great that it happened. We're going to declare war on them because, you know, strong people declare war. They don't wait to be declared war on. And Winston Churchill remembers this quote he heard about the United States. He says that the United States is like a gigantic boiler. Mm-hmm. And once you light a fire under it, there is no limit to the amount of power it will produce. Mm-hmm. And Winston Churchill is exactly right, and we are on. And this story, you know, as we're as the big three are coming together, which uh, Churchill doesn't trust Stalin. No at one all, trusts Stalin, and right? FDR doesn't trust him at all because he was on the side of the Germans for a while. That he started the war on the side of the Nazis. The only reason he comes to our side is because Hitler invades, and he's like, "Oh, you're going to invade us? I'll be on the Allies' side now." You know, right. he's not a good person. No, and you know, we've done books on. We did The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington, Mm -hmm. and we did George Washington. We did uh, The Lincoln Conspiracy about The Secret Plot to Kill Abraham Lincoln, the Mm -hmm. first plot, not the John Wilkes Booth plot. And when I look at what makes a good president, it's not the person that makes the best promises. It's not the person that makes the best speeches. It's the person who, when a disaster strikes, can pivot and deal with that disaster and be the right person for that right moment in time. And FDR in that moment, whenever anyone thinks of his politics, 
it, he has one belief in himself and it's his ability to charm. And he's like, I'm going to charm Stalin because I know Stalin likes me better than you, Churchill, <laughs> right? And he knows mm-hmm. that Churchill, of course, prefers him to Stalin. And, and FDR is the right guy. He brings these three together. And Tehran, Iran of all places, which again, I was like, how did I not know this? And in Tehran, what's so wild is- Well, you knew that they were there. I know, right, I know the yeah, Tehran yeah, yeah. conference, but I didn't right, know the, right, right. that the assassination yeah, okay. plot took place there. But so here comes- uh, FDR flies across the globe. This is the big meeting. Millions of lives truly at stake. This meeting must take place of the big three. And he comes to town and the motorcade is moving through the center of the city and everyone's craning their neck because they want to see the president of the United States. FDR is in town. And they're waving at the motorcade. President's waving back. What none of them know is that that is not FDR in the motorcade. That's just a Secret Service decoy. The real president, the real FDR, is ducked down and hiding in the back of a beat-up sedan, racing through the side streets because they're, they're worried that there's a Nazi assassin who's about to kill him. I just ruined chapter one of the Nazi conspiracy yeah. for you, but that is chapter one. It's so well done, too. Yeah. I mean, I was, I honestly, because I love your novels, love your novels. And when I found out that this was a Nazi, uh, that this is a history book, I thought, okay, well, he's really good at history, but I really wanted a novel to escape. I get into the first chapter, and it's over for me. I'm just, I mean, you write it like a thriller. Well, that's the thing is, you know, for me, you know, I love these stories, but I don't want to read an encyclopedia entry. I don't yeah, want to read some boring thing. So, and we all know FDR, and we all know Winston Churchill, and we all know Joseph Stalin. We know those names. We're, we grew up with those names. What I love are the people you don't know in this book. So there's a Nazi in there named Otto Skorzeny. And Otto Skorzeny gets the call from Adolf Hitler one day to come down to Adolf Hitler's secret headquarters, the Wolf's Lair. And you know you're in trouble when the word lair is in the title, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, know, right. you know you're not going for a party. Right. And, and Adolf Hitler wants all of his best special operations fighters, which Otto Skorzeny, and he's one of them, he's a special ops guy. He wants to find the toughest and strongest one. And he lines up all the special op guys in this big room, shoulder to shoulder, and he gives them a quiz of one question. What do you think of Italy, Adolf Hitler says. And they all give these kind of macho answers saying, oh, you know, Italy's on our side. We'll fight to the death with them. You know, thank you for all this. Otto Skorzeny, this one Nazi, shouts out above everybody else, I am from Austria, my Fuhrer. And he's gambling because he knows Adolf Hitler is from Austria. Mm-hmm. And he also knows that a true Austrian forever resents Italy because in World War I, they took a key piece of Italy and of Austria and never gave it back. Right. So at that moment... Adolf Hitler turns to Otto Skorzeny and he's like, you're my guy. You're my guy. And he sends him on a secret mission. We won't ruin this part of the book, but he sends him on a secret mission that is so crazy and so wild that Josh mentioned on my co-writer in the book said that we need to put an actual photograph of this secret mission in the book because people will not believe this really happened. Nazis falling from the sky and 80% casualty rate is what they predict. It is this amazing moment. His... the. End result of this secret mission earns Otto Skorzeny the nickname, the most dangerous man in Europe. And this is the craziest Nazi story you've never heard in your life. Why? I know. It, well, and, and the thing is, is it doesn't even stop with him, right? There, it, it, there's a guy in there named Franz Mayer. So there's two Nazis that play a key role in this in assassination plot. And Franz Mayer is a guy who's on the ground in Tehran. The truth is the Nazis think he's dead. They think he's captured when the allies come there. They're like, he's done. But he's actually spent a couple years 
making, uh, finding other people who love the Nazi cause. He's got supplies. He sends a message back to Berlin and says, I got a drop zone. I got a safe place. You can send me supplies and paratroopers, send me money. And here's a secret code to put on the radio, like you and I talking. You're going to say a certain uh, couple words together, and I'm going to know you got my message. And at that moment in time, the Nazis get the greatest thing that anyone can get in a fight, which is an opportunity. Because the big three are coming to town, and they've got a guy on the inside on the ground in Tehran. So you've got Franz Mayer on one side, you've got Otto Skozet on another, and Glenn, the best part is, is that Franz Mayer is not just there because he loves the Nazi cause, he's in love. It's the Nazi in love, and he loves a, a local woman from a wealthy family, he's sleeping with her, what he doesn't know is she's sleeping with another guy who's an American GI. So he's whispering secrets to her. She's whispering the secrets back to us. I couldn't make this up if I want. My editor would be like, no one will believe this. It all really happened all in World War II. Anyone who loves history, like I was like, this is the greatest it's story. It's a great story. And, and, and the thing that you realize is it could have changed the entire war, right? It could have, if, if the big three are assassinated at this moment in time, this is just the moment where the Nazis, it's starting to go against them. They really need a win. And we have to remember, assassination was used as a weapon all the time back then. Right. So when, even when uh, Admiral Yamamoto, one of the, the chief architects of Pearl Harbor, the United States, we get information where he is, where he's going to fly. And they go to FDR and they say, what do you want to do? You want to kill him or not? FDR knows, listen, if we kill him, they could retaliate against us. They've retaliated against us before. This is the main architect of Pearl Harbor. And... At that moment, FDR says, quote, get Yamamoto. And we do. We get him. We kill him. We know the stories of Hitler. We, you know, they try and kill him in the Alps. They try and kill him on a train. The Nazis tried it. They find out that Winston Churchill, they think, is on a commercial flight. They shoot the flight out of the sky. It's just a guy who looks like Winston Churchill. They get the wrong guy. So all through the war, assassination is being used. When the big three come to Tehran, it's a tantalizing target for the Nazis. And you have to ask yourself, why do I not know this story? How do you and I, who obsess over this stuff, mm -hmm. not know this story? And it's because when, when Churchill comes back and, and, and FDR come back from the meeting, FDR holds a big press conference at the White House, and he says, um, yes, the meeting went really well. We planned the, you know, he doesn't tell it, but he knows they planned the invasion of Normandy is coming now. But uh, he says, by the way, the Nazis tried to kill us. The Secret Service like, why'd you say that? How could you tell everyone you're not supposed to say anything? It becomes the front page of every newspaper. It's a big, giant story. Again. But guess what? Guess what happens soon after that? Normandy. 150,000 uh, men storm the beaches, a million more standing by in successive waves. And then this, this story becomes a footnote in history and gets lost until nerds like me dig it up and show you, look at this moment that we all forgot. It's almost like, do you remember when Rumsfeld on September 10th came out and said, like, there's $2 trillion of, of funding missing. Do you remember this? I don't even remember this. Oh, this is amazing. So the night before, because we had it on our show prep, remember, Stu? We were going to talk about it. Rumsfeld comes out, and they had just done some audit of the Pentagon. And he was like, this is worse than we thought. And it was it was some staggering number. It was like, one or two trillion dollars that they can't account for. 
and, and then and we're going to get down <laughs> to the bottom of it and the next morning unbelievable it was just it was a non-story because the next morning was 9-11 well the thing is is there's always to me lost history is the best history right because we know the stories that we hear and we tell over and over again and the story of world war ii is not just you know an amazing battle where millions of lives are at stake it's also one of the few maybe last times in the american government where we think that the government went in we did the right thing. We saved the day for everyone, and everyone on every side of politics agrees. That just doesn't right. It's and World War II is is not just an incident. It's it's an ideal. It's it's what makes America the best, right? It's the moment where we stand up to evil. And and Josh and I, when we write these books, like when we did the Nazi conspiracy, we we're like, okay, it's it's great to say that we have this amazing plot you've never heard of to kill FDR and Stalin and Churchill. But what's the book really about? Like, what's it really about? What is this? You know, we, you and I know our love of history is not just that we love dates and facts and obscure stuff. What we love, and you and I have been together a long time, decades now, is that it informs us and about us today, Correct. right? When history tells us who we are today. And one of the things I remember is when Charlottesville happened. When we saw, I'm not throwing, you know, when Nazis were marching in Charlottesville, I'm not talking about throwing around the word Nazi the way it's thrown around today, but truly Nazis are marching there and we're all wringing our hands and going, how does this happen in America? Why are we fighting Nazis in, in modern times? One of the things I didn't know is, and you see it early in the book, is back in World War II, there was a rally in Madison Square Garden. 20,000 Nazis in the heart of New York City who cheer, and they have a big giant banner of George Washington surrounded mm-hmm. by swastikas, and the first speaker of the day says, if George Washington were alive today, he'd be friends with Adolf Hitler. Yep. And... Oh my gosh, I'm like, why are we fighting Nazis today? They never left. No, They're they here. World left. War II is not that long ago. Anne Frank is born the same year as Barbara Walters. And it's just not that long ago. Think about that a wow. moment, right? It's not that long ago. And to me, the reason why we tell these stories is so, you know, to me, the American dream is not about just making money. It's about when you see someone being bullied, when you see someone being picked yep. on, you use your voice and you say enough. enough and over and over in time you know we see it you know adolf hitler what he does is he says those people are the cause of your problems he goes to those those germans who are suffering economically those people are the cause of your problems he means the jewish people and all those germans there they believe him they they take him at his word and listen when someone says to me you're the cause of my problem i'm like oh my gosh i'm mad i hate those people who are they what are they doing but we, we see it over and over through history, whether it's the black community, you see it with you know the gay community, the immigrant community, there's always a group where someone say, those people are the problem. Right. And when you see, that's, that's a code, and it's a code through history, and we need to be better than what angers us. We need to not fall for that. And we have to say, when someone's being picked on, use your voice and say enough, not just when it's your group being picked on, but any group that's being picked on, you gotta say, no. We used to say, I disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death Amen. for your right to say it. Na, 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 na.